My interview with Earl Brand brought on some memories about the kinds of leaders that were in my past and how they impacted me. And so one leader, and I talk about him fondly, I simply remember his name was Mike because he made me feel confident even though the business I was in as the head of quality, we were not doing very well and the future was bleak. But when he dropped in as the CEO, he worked with us. He built our capability to be able to bring the business to the next level. And then he departed. But he has always left a lasting memory with me. And I remember his name is Mike. And then there are leaders in that same organization. As we grew, things got more complex. And over time, I was starting to lose my confidence. I know We did a lot of work. There was a lot of rushing to get things done for the customer, fixing things that were broken. And, you know, I don't remember their names. All I know is we got through to make another day, another product delivery. We eventually went IPO that company, but I can't tell you the names of those leaders that were fighting fires and just doing transactions. But then there was Mike because he made me feel good about who I was developing as a leader. And so turning to you, you as a leader, are you that leader that just runs day by day, living to survive and getting those transactions done? Will people remember you next week, next year, in 10 years from now? Or are you the kind of leader that Earl Brian talks about having their back, building their confidence, being a team player, and becoming memorable? The choice is up to you what kind of leader you are or what kind of leader you want to be. Let's listen. Leaders too often want to be perfect. They think we have to have all the answers to all the questions all the time. And by being vulnerable, admitting when you don't and and failing and fixing it, you build a human connection. Here's the thing, right? Later on in your career, if you've taken the time to build those connections with your people, when you do have the big stumble, whatever it is, we're all going to have one. I don't care what it is. You're going to turn around and you're going to see those people that you took care of. And instead of them cheering for your failure, they're going to be cheering for your, to get through it and succeed. And that's the big difference when we talk about resilient long-term leadership is, are you leaving a wake of destruction or are you leaving a wake of care and empathy? So when you have that big moment, you have people around Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, I am Deb Cobiello, founder of Illumination Partners, and I am thankful that you have returned for another episode of the Drop-In CEO podcast. And if this is your first time, I welcome you as well. Each week, I get to speak to amazing leaders and share their insights with you. And if you do like this episode, I ask, please subscribe, rate, and review so we can continue to bring you great programming. 
And now I am honored to share the mic with my amazing guest, Earl Breon. He is a former active duty United States Marine with over 25 years of experience in coaching and leadership development. He is the CEO and founder of the Leadership Failings, where he combines his civilian and military experiences with his love of history to bring you what he calls the 11 shields of the Leadership Failings. And these shields work together like the ancient Spartan formation to provide you a strong leadership foundation that values diversity and inclusion as fundamental to build strong, successful, and innovative teams. Welcome to the show, Earl. I'm happy to be here, Deb. I really appreciate you having me. So thank you. This is going to be amazing. I am grateful that I already know you. For my listeners, Earl Brand, you have to capture his podcast. I was a recent guest on his show. He was an amazing podcast host. We're going to talk more about his show during this interview. But what I love and respect so much about his background is leadership and the military. I have a sweet spot for the military. My husband was in the military. So is my son, David. And, you know, there is so many lessons we can learn from a noble pursuit. And so we're going to talk a bit about the work that he's done, but without taking any more of his time, I would love for you, Earl, to share a bit about yourself personally, your career journey and the work you're doing now. Yeah, no, I appreciate that opportunity. You know, yeah, military was where things kind of got cemented, but my journey actually started when I was very young in the workforce. I was actually about 16 when I got promoted into my first management role, if you will. And I was working for a uh, for a gentleman in my hometown, small town, Irwin, Tennessee. And it was a plant that that packed and shipped tomatoes. And long story short, I got put in charge of what they called the box loft. So that was where all the boxes that the tomatoes got put into were made. And the people that worked with me were all somewhere in the neighborhood of in their late 20s, early to mid 30s. Well, here I was, this 16-year-old that got put in charge of these adults. And uh, before that time, you know, I had this kind of idea of what management and leadership looked like based on TV shows and things like that. But I learned real quick that, you know, the, you know, it's my way or the highway, do what I say. That doesn't work, especially when you're dealing with people who are that much older than you. And so I had to really quickly regroup and recalibrate and find ways to connect and, and learn what they were going through and kind of understand that mindset and find great ways to, to inspire them to want to follow a 16-year-old. Now, fast forward to my military service and learning what we called the 11 principles. A lot of those things were things that I thankfully stumbled on as a 16-year-old. And having them reinforced two or three years later as foundations of Marine Corps leadership really was helpful to me and, and putting those dots together. Because I think the one thing, like there's one misconception about military leadership I really want to kind of knock down. It's that it's that command and control style. Now, that happens and that, that there's a place for that from time to time, but it's rare. It's a, it's a rarity, not the norm. You know, the great military leaders out there know how to connect with their people. They take the time to get to know who they are. It's a very personal connection. And I remember there was one officer who said one time, so, you know, when you hear somebody read like a Medal of Honor statement of somebody jumping on a hand grenade, people don't just do that for people that they don't love, right? And that is really at the core of it is you have to love the people that you lead. You absolutely have to. And so that was kind of my military journey, and that really got cemented into me. And I get into the civilian world, and I expected things to be, 
I guess you could say a little bit better out there, but I realized, you know, there's a lot of people that are in leadership slash management positions that haven't had the level of training that I've been exposed to. And they didn't have that level of care and understanding. And they really turned people into numbers on a chart. And it was very cold and impersonal. And that started me on my mission to, to try working inside of the organization I was working for at the time to change that. And that training and, and becoming a coach and mentor in that environment to, to, again, to peers, you know, that's kind of been a theme of mine is I've, I've done a lot of leading up through my career. That set me on the path to the leadership phalanx because I had one person uh, look at me and say, you know, hey, have you ever thought about doing this as, as your career? It's like, well, no, not really. It's like, well, you should. And then I had another person tell me that, and, you know, soon, uh, soon after that, you hear it enough times, you're like, okay, well, maybe let's give it a try. So that's when I founded uh, the Leadership Phalanx with a buddy of mine. Uh, he has since had another job opportunity, and he's kind of stepped away for a short period of time, but he'll be coming back. But yeah, that, that's kind of where we got now with the Leadership Phalanx. Oh, wow. I have so many things to ask you, Earl, about all of this. But just just want to come back to that. So somebody, two people, maybe even three people said, you should do this full time as being a coach for others. And I think as a leader, we have to then take in that data and then reflect, well, why? What was it about what they saw and believed in you that now you are doing with others? What are your unique qualities that made you somebody they said should be a leadership coach? No, that's a great question. I, and, and I asked that question, right? And, and, and what I got back uh, kind of across the board was, is I don't do things cookie cutter, Right. A lot of a lot of my interaction is very personal. I want to take time to get to know you, know who you are, know what drives you. You know, a lot of folks will they'll 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 go read a book or they'll they'll take a class and then they'll do the same thing the same way with everybody. And and that's not what I do. Right. I I really want to personalize it for my client because everybody needs that personal touch. Uh, You know, I don't care if it's John Maxwell. I don't care if it's Simon Sinek. I don't care if it's Deb Coviello. Your stuff works fantastic for some people, not all people. And that's what I was told was kind of the unique thing. It's like I'm I'm able to go through and and personalize to what they need to pull the most success out of them. I sincerely love that approach. And, you know, I have been asked for my website and others, look, we want to understand what your system is. Tell us what your system is so we can document what that is. And I was like resisting and resisting, but 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 it's so customized to the people that I work with. However, my book, The CEO's Compass, has eight compass points. We talk about those things I have seen with myself and many leaders that, again, it's not cookie cutter, but if you poke here and pull there, you might be able to get yourself back on track. So I sincerely appreciate your leadership style to understand every person is unique and different. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and that's what I loved about your book. When we talked about it on my show, is you're right. I, I love what you did with your book because it, it gives a good foundation for people to be able to pull out those pieces. And I think that's the other thing with these shields of the phalanx that I like where they work because they empower you to not... They don't give you an answer. They give you a path to the answers, right? Absolutely. And leaders need to start thinking about their approach versus just doing what others tell them to do. Love this, love this. But we are going to dig right in again, the failings. I would love to know what that is about. Why did you pick that as part of your brand? And also you talk about the shields. Where do they come from? So tell us more. I am excited to dig into this. 
Yeah. So, you know, my my partner and I, we were sitting around uh, a dinner table in Fairbanks, Alaska, when we were kind of conceptualizing what we were doing. And we, we thought about all of these words. We thought about, uh, you know, vanguard. And we thought about like, you know, just kind of all these military words that would put us at the cutting edge. And, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of, of Stephen Pressfield's work and the Spartans in general. And I got to thinking about the, the Spartan phalanx, right? And for those who aren't familiar with it, the, the principle behind the, the Spartan phalanx was the, the front line was a set of interlocking shields. And as long as those held, they were pretty much invincible, right? You know, we see the kind of fictionalized version of it in the movie 300. But, you know, in real life, a lot of tacticians at the time talked about how as long as the phalanx holds, nobody could beat the Spartans. But once the shield, one of the shields collapses, it, they become a little bit more vulnerable. And I thought to myself, you know, we have a lot of eight this or seven that or nine this, right? And we're talking about 11 shields. We didn't call them shields at the time, but we're talking about 11 principles ourselves. But it's that same thing, right? These 11, they work great on their own. You could probably protect yourself a little bit. But when you put them together in that formation, when you lock them in with one another, they're unbeatable. And so that's how we got to the leadership phalanx, because we truly believe that these 11 shields, if if you use them all together, right, and they, they really give you that guide, if you use those guides together and you ask yourself, hey, this decision I'm making, how does this work with the shield? If you use all 11 together, it gives you a very strong, hard-to-beat leadership foundation that will let you be able to handle any situation that comes your way. So you are leaving me wanting more, Earl, so I'm going to say, and again, I don't want you to give away everything that you have. I want people to connect with you after we're done recording this and they listen to this. But what is one of those shields that you see are one that many leaders need to make sure they have that firmly in place? Oh, well, I tell you, great question. And, you know, if I was going to pick one that people really needed to, to keep in mind, it's you are always on display. As a leader, people are always watching you, right? When you're driving down the road and you're getting ready to get prone to that fit of road rage, like too many of us do, you never know when that person in the car next to you is somebody who works for you, right? And when they see you freaking out and flipping people off and driving crazy, do you think that inspires them to want to follow you in the workplace, right? When you're in a grocery store and, you know, you see somebody needing help, uh, maybe it's an elderly person having t- trouble reaching the top row. Are you 100% certain that there's nobody watching you when you decide to pass by instead of help that person? And then when you go into work and you tell people, hey, we're a very inclusive workplace, we're going to do the things to, to help people out. Are you certain that nobody saw you ignore that act of leadership right then and there? You know, and I could go through all of these, uh, a bunch of different scenarios. But if you take in this mindset that you were always on display, what you say, what you do, the actions that you take throughout the day, they mean something to somebody, right? And even if they're not somebody that you work with, they're not somebody that you work for, maybe they're a, a family member, you know, leadership is a 24-7 endeavor. And here's the, here's the thing that I really want people to remember. You don't get to choose who you are setting an example for. Anybody who can see you, whether it's a good action or a bad action, you're setting some kind of example for them. And you don't get to choose whether they see it as a good action or a bad action. That's up to them. Maybe somebody sees you in that fit of road rage and says, yeah, I love that. That's what I'm going to do the next time. 
you know, so you could be leading bad examples by not thinking about I'm always on display. So this is why our brands so closely aligned. I talk about something similar in the CEO's Compass, my book, that corporate destabilization, sometimes we elevate subject matter experts. They're very good at what they do. But unless we give those essential skills to be leaders, sometimes when they rise to being leaders, then they are not setting good examples. And while we still have to work on them and maybe they're not at optimal performance, the people they are leading see this. They don't have somebody to go to to elevate their essential skills. And ultimately, they resolve themselves to being a transaction or leave the company and you start destabilizing the foundation. So love how that shield and what I talk about, so, so critical to what we do. Now, often we ask in the interviews, you know, what were those pivotal moments in your career, maybe some failures, et cetera, that really changed the trajectory of what you do? But I would love to know more about successes. And so I would love where in your career did you have great success that either solidified your leadership and what you're doing or maybe some work that you did with the client? Yeah. Again, great question there. And, you know, it, they, they kind of are tied together. One of my greatest failures is, is one of my greatest successes, right? Because uh, I've shared this before on my podcast. One of my biggest failures as a Marine, not taking into account uh, some of these things, right? It was a moment of weakness on my part about diversity and inclusion, knowing your teammates. We were out on a work detail, Okay. And I was in charge of arranging lunches, right? And, and so we weren't out in the field, so we didn't have MREs to distribute. But the gist of what I was supposed to do was coordinate with the chow hall and tell them how many bag lunches we need. Well, I took the easy way out because I'd had some other things that had went on. And I just ordered, you know, I can't remember how many it was, 12, 15 ham, you know, just ham sandwich bag lunches. That's it. Well, I had a Muslim kid in my platoon. And uh, lunchtime rolls around and we're handing out the lunches and it's nothing but ham sandwiches. And so now this kid doesn't have lunch because I failed him as a leader. Right now, I could have just said, well, hey, my bad. Right. I'm sorry. I apologize. But I took it upon myself to get in the car, go to the chow hall and get him a lunch that he could eat. And it took that moment of a failure and turn it into a win because he understood right then and there that yes, I had failed, but I cared enough about him to make it right. And I think that is another important thing for leaders to work with. And and, and I try to hammer home to organizations is failure's okay, right? It's what you do after you fail that makes the difference. And you can just sit back and say, you know, my bad, or you can set about actively making it better. You know, no matter what the problem is, we all are going to face times where we fail. Do you just fail or do you grow from it? Yeah, seizing the opportunity takes a little bit more because then maybe you won't repeat that failure. You will be memorable. I talk about this a bit with customers. You may not be number one, but if you're always there and having their back, partnering with them, helping them, if they make a mistake through whatever the challenge is, they will remember you. And it's really, again, not about the ham sandwich, but it's being memorable and leaving that impact on that individual. Yeah, 100%. And, and here's the, the other thing, right, is when you do that, it, it, it builds that human connection, right? Because leaders too often want to be perfect. They think we have to have all the answers to all the questions all the time. And by being vulnerable, admitting when you don't, and, and failing and fixing it, 
you build a human connection. Here's the thing, right? Later on in your career, if you've taken the time to build those connections with your people, when you do have the big stumble, whatever it is, we're all going to have one. I don't care what it is. You're going to turn around and you're going to see those people that you took care of. And instead of them cheering for your failure, they're going to be cheering for you to get through it and succeed. And that's the big difference when we talk about resilient long-term leadership is, are you leaving a wake of destruction or are you leaving a wake of, of care and empathy? So when you have that big moment, you have people around you. So I love your work. It is so aligned with what I talk about. We could probably talk another two hours after this interview, but what I would really love to know a little bit is how you have impacted people in the work you're doing now. You know, a leader or a team that's called your or called in your services, what was the situation and how were you able to help them through some kind of change or transformation? Yeah, I think the biggest story, you know, I'd like to share right now is there's a young man. Um, I say young man, he's actually older than I am, but uh, there was a gentleman, I'll use that term, gentleman that I worked with, and he was on the verge of, of leaving his job. And somebody had mentioned, hey, you know, you may want to find a coach, may want to find a mentor. And, and he reached out to me and we started working together and helped him find what he didn't enjoy about his job and what he did, right? We helped him find his purpose. We kind of use your term. We kind of pulled out the compass, if you will, and started finding out how to navigate and get this, this gentleman back on track. And, you know, when we found out it wasn't so much his job, it was where he was working and kind of their purpose was close, but not 100% on track. And so we were able to, to dial him in a bit. And uh, just in the last week, he's gotten promoted for his fourth time into a, a senior director's type position and having that conversation with him and, and where we were seven years ago to where he is now, almost leaving the organization to now being in the top, you know, handful of people in it and the change he's been able to make like that right there was, was just great for me to, to hear how happy he was, know that he's going to be able to move forward and still make a difference in an organization and in a field that he loves. So that is, thank you, Earl, for that. This is something I talk about is corporate courage, is knowing when to ask the question, be aware and say, something doesn't feel right. I need help either personally or for my team. So kudos, that's an amazing story. But I would love to pick something out of the interview you and I talked about. Again, I'm grateful for the opportunity that you just interviewed me on your program. We talk about ego a little bit, and you we talked about it in the context of uh, pilots. And while I started talking about ego sometimes has a negative connotation, you actually shared, no, it's not. And in the context of a fighter pilot or a, a pilot, this is what it really means in terms of leadership. Can you share more about that? Yeah. You know, so you no know, ego really is just kind of a, a belief in oneself. And and so what we were talking about there with fighter pilots, like there was a, some psychological evaluation that, that went in. I think the, the Air Force did it. But what they found out is to be a successful fighter pilot, you have to have a unique blend of, of having that ego, but also be willing to work in a team. And it was the, the point was to be able to do the things that, that fighter pilots do. And I think this is true for CEOs and stuff as well, right? I mean, not everybody can be a CEO. Every organization has just one, right? You have to have enough of an ego to believe in yourself that you can do that. You can be just that one person. And, and, and you can't get there without some of that self-belief. 
that's the positive piece. It helps drive you. It helps keep you moving. Where it gets dangerous, as, as we were talking about, is kind of when you let it drive and consume you to the point where you don't believe in the other folks around you. And I think that was the key piece of that, that study was you had to have a unique blend of believing that you could do whatever you needed to do whenever, but also knowing in the back of your mind that there's a time when you need to rely on the team and, and not throw them under the bus and build the team so you have the support. And so I think that's the big thing there is you have to have ego and teamwork working together. Such amazing insight. Again, we are all heroes because we've been elevated or elevated and ascended to different levels of leadership, but it's knowing when we have to pull back. We have to evolve the capability and capacity of our people and then watch them and support them. That is what CEOs and senior leaders need to do. So, you know, one of the things I find so interesting, even ourselves, I (laughs) have to pause and reflect about my brand. Is it resonating with people? What do I need to change in order to have greater impact? And I understand you as well through your brand and the podcast have recently evolved. And I was wondering if you could share that self-reflection and changes coming on your platform as well. Yeah, no, thank you for that. So, you know, for the first 150 episodes, a few of those haven't aired yet. Uh, My podcast was titled The Burden of Command Podcast, and I started off with this basic question, and I loved your answer to that question, uh, is what does the phrase burden of command mean to you? Because I really noticed that military leadership was starting to get used a lot in the civilian sector, and some of these terms were being kicked around, but people weren't really given the base knowledge that we had in the military to be able to understand those terms, right? So that was part of why I started the podcast is The Burden of Command. Now, the show has done well, but it's not done as well as I would have hoped, uh, given how many shows in I am. So I reached out to an SEO person, and we talked about it for a little bit. And, you know, they said, Earl, it's a great show. It's great content. You've got outstanding guests. You should be getting 10, 15, 20, 100 times the traffic you're getting. I think it's the name. And they said, nobody goes onto a podcast platform and, and searches for the term burden or command. But they do search for responsible. They search for leadership. So I decided to rebrand the show, the Responsible Leadership Podcast. And we start off kind of with the same basic question. What does responsible leadership look like to you? And we try to keep everything pretty much in the same vein as as the original content, just reworded burden of command to responsible leadership. So what is so powerful about that? And, And we talked a little bit before we started hitting the record button is that We could be communicating with people, putting information out there in the world. And then we wonder why sometimes we're not heard, respected, or, you know, understood. And there's great power in reflecting and saying, well, what words would resonate with the listeners? So sometimes we as leaders, while we know our talking points, have to understand the culture and the perspective and the diversity of the audience that is listening, because it may be that your messaging is not received. And then when you change it, look what happens. And I'm sure you're going to collect a lot of data. I wish you amazing success on that as well. And I know it has been successful. Yeah, no, thank you very much. And, and again, that's one of those shields, introspection and improvement uh, that we talk about. And I, I felt like I'd been a little hypocritical if I hadn't have taken the time to be introspective and, and get the feedback and, and seek improvement. You know, one of the big drivers is, you know, I'm a big advocate for women in leadership. And I started getting a lot of women tell me, you know, hey, that title's not something if I'm just scrolling through podcasts that I would listen to. 
And, and even since uh, I can tell you this, even since just kind of starting to advertise that the name change is coming, my female listenerships already went up about 7%. So I consider that a, a big win already. And I think that's really important is then what is asking for feedback, listening for feedback. You even in your podcast say, give me feedback. And I sincerely appreciate that because feedback can sometimes be scary. Be careful what you wish for. But if you take the perspective that it is a gift and that people are simply sharing with you, maybe not exactly the way you want to hear it, but the fact they communicate it back to you means they care. They love you. <laughs> I love the word love in leadership because they want to see you succeed. Most people want to see you succeed. And they, and I'm sincerely grateful that I am part of that legacy. So we could go on and on. There is one more topic I would love to hit on before we start bringing this to a close is that you talk about cognitive diversity and why it's so valuable. Share with our listeners a little bit about that thought. Yeah. So I think that's the one thing like, you know, having set in on my share of diversity and inclusion training, having given quite a bit. Not a lot of folks focus on the diversity of diversity, as I like to put it, right? There's a lot of diversity and diversity. And one of those pieces is cognitive diversity. And, and that's simply diversity of thought, using your background, using your unique talents to, to come up with better solutions. And what a lot of organizations don't understand is it's not just enough to have a diverse workforce. You can pull what looks like traditionally a diverse workforce from the same, essentially same demographic. Are you going out and you seeking out people who are going to have those alternative points of views or maybe who know nothing about it? So you mind if I share a real quick story here? Yes, please. So one of the quick stories that I like to share about why cognitive diversity is so important, right, is, is a gentleman named Cliff Young. So Cliff Young was a shepherd from Australia. And he was, I want to say, 62. And literally, the reason was he just happened to have a few days off when they were running this ultra marathon from Melbourne to Sydney, I believe it was. It was like 540 miles. So Cliff always had wanted to run a marathon. He's like, hey, let me start with an ultra marathon that's 540 miles, because who doesn't, right? That's, that's how we all operate. So he shows up to the, the start line wearing coveralls and his muck boots, and, and he had his teeth out because he said they chattered when he ran, right? So the first day goes by, you know, all the people are looking at him and, and you know, hey, what is what is wrong with this guy? What he's this is he's going to get embarrassed. Well, they take off running. And sure enough, at the end of the first day, when everybody else started turning, Cliff was like a few hours behind everybody else. Fast forward to the end of the race. Cliff finished. I want to say it was a day and a half ahead of the record and 10 hours ahead of second place. So everybody was basically beat the record. But what it was, was Cliff came in. And he didn't know what he was supposed to do. So he just did what he knew he could do, which was run because his family was poor. They didn't have four wheelers and things like that. So he had ran hundreds of miles chasing down sheep before. So he knew he could do it. But what he didn't know is what the professionals did was run for 8, 10, 12 hours a day and then rest. Cliff ran the whole way and he ended up winning. And when they went back, th this is the interesting part, not even that he won. When they went back and they analyzed his movements, they realized that what he did was much more of an efficient style of running. And for the longest time, it was known as the Cliff Young Shuffle. And he changed ultra marathon running forever. And so what I, I try to tell folks with that is you never know who your Cliff Young is. You know, it could be the janitor. It could be the, the secretary. It could be anybody. 
that you would normally think about turning away, but maybe you take a flyer and that person changes your organization forever. And that, my folks, is the inspiration that I get from these interviews, and hopefully my listeners do as well. Sometimes we can be thwarted, we can be tossed aside because we think differently, and then we go quiet. But we should speak up, do what we think is best, because you never know, somebody is watching, listening, and this person, Cliff, has left a legacy. You've been amazing, Earl. I am grateful for this interview. I am inspired. It is for me. It is for my listeners. And we all leave this as living forever in podcast world. But I would love to bring this to a close now. And is there any last thoughts or things that you want to share with our listeners? Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I really have enjoyed this. It's been a great conversation. Last thoughts. It's just, you know, again, keep that in mind, folks. You're always on display. You don't get to choose whether or not you're a leader to somebody. That's up to the person who chooses to follow you. All you can do is go forward each day, try to set the best examples, try to be the best person for people to follow and and take that responsibility seriously. And and I think that's really it is if you keep that in mind, I think that's going to make all the difference in the world for you. And I know people are going to want to connect with you. You've got also a really great speaking voice, hence the podcast as well. How can people connect personally with you? Yeah, I think the thank you for that. I really appreciate the compliment there. The best way would be through the website, just leadershipphalanx.com. And phalanx is P-H-A-L-A-N-X. Please do find the podcast and and, uh, subscribe and and get all that. That'd be uh, a big help. But you'll find links to all my social media stuff and even the podcast on that webpage. So if you visit that, that'll be the best way to connect with me. And uh, I'm a little bit better on on Facebook and LinkedIn than I am on Twitter, uh, but I am on Twitter as well. Earl, you've been an amazing guest. And for all of our listeners out there, you know, podcasting can sometimes be lonely. Please reach out to Earl, reach out to me. Let us know what you think about this episode. And Earl, I just wish you amazing success. Thank you for being a great guest. Hi, Deb. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My new book, CEO's Compass, will change the way you think about leadership navigate rapid transformation and elevate the leaders of tomorrow. If you're feeling off track, the CEO's Compass Assessment will guide you to peace of mind in days, not months. You can learn more about the CEO's Compass by visiting my website at dropinceo.com. Now go out and lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.